When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a mini pod, a mini Buckeye Talk. And I know that is practically uh, an oxymoron, a mini Buckeye Talk in the land where we do two and a half hour podcasts. But I'm Doug Maurice with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird. We're going to try this. Uh, as long as all this stuff is going on, to drop a couple extras during the week. Um, we'll still have the regular Buckeye Talk every Wednesday, but I think maybe the plan is try to drop a mini pod on Mondays and Fridays. So this is the Friday mini pod, and we do have some news. Uh, Steven, DJ Carton, Ohio State basketball uh, freshman, is officially gone. We'll get into a couple football questions and a little bit of our bracket, favorite modern football Buckeye bracket talk later. But this is actual news for the program, but not a surprise, right, Stephen? Yeah, I, this was since he's left the team after the Northwestern game. This is something that was a long time coming. You can say he hasn't been back with the team, even though he was back on campus as basically a regular student. There was a very strict protocol that he had to follow for him to even get back to even practicing or even being around the team and. At that point, it just seemed like this is where things were headed, where he was eventually going to put his name in the transfer portal. So this is to no surprise that a guy who, when he got here, was NBA potential at some point, whether that was two or three years, you thought this was a guy who wouldn't be here all four years anyway. He would be able to turn himself into a a first-round draft pick. It just didn't work out the way people thought. So I wrote a thing. uh, We're recording this around noon on Friday. I wrote it Thursday night at cleveland.com slash OSU, just talking about all the elite players that have been at Ohio State for one year, and they left. And DJ Carton, since 2003, was the 11th highest-ranked recruit for Ohio State basketball. The 10 recruits ranked ahead of him. Six of them left after a year. So as you said, Stephen, I know a lot of people thought that he was probably a multi-year guy, but Ohio State thought Mike Conley Jr. was a multi-year guy, and he wasn't. They thought D'Angelo Russell was a two-year guy, and he wasn't. So I know people are really disappointed, but, you know, there was no title with the NCAA tournament and the Big Ten tournament being wiped out. There was no title to be won anyway this year. So, DJ Carton could not have helped Ohio State win a trophy in this season. And now that he's leaving, 
that happens sometimes. I'm trying to mitigate Ohio State fans' disappointment with this, but how would you characterize what kind of blow this is to the program? Um, Obviously, we wish DJ Carton the best. He has mental health issues, which is why he stepped away. Best of luck to him being the best person and basketball player he can be. But is this like a major crushing blow to the program, or is this just kind of life that sometimes you lose good players early? It's it, from the standpoint of guys leave early. It's it's a part of college where college basketball is. What makes it a blow is it was a little. It's not the way you think of, of what when you think of Mike Conley and D'Angelo Russell along those lines. He's not leaving as a guy who blossomed and was a lot better in year one than maybe you thought he was going to be. And so, yeah, he's going to, but it doesn't matter, but, but why does it matter? They went eight and three without him and there's nothing to win. I think there's zero. Why would there be any past regret? What is the real past regret of DJ Carton? There's no past regret. It's more going forward. If they can't find another point guard to go along with, if CJ Walker is the only point guard on the roster, which is, Unlikely, there are some guys that they've already reached out to in the transfer portal, depending on which one they get is whether or not they're going to be eligible to play right away. But as things stand right now, the only point guard on the roster is going to be C.J. Walker until 2021 when Michi Johnson arrives. That's the only blow right now is the fact that there's only one point guard. Nathan, I want to I want to get your perspective on this. Having covered Purdue basketball um, for many years. Purdue was a place that had a lot of good players come through, but there it wasn't exactly a one-and-done factory. They they thrived more with guys who stuck around for several years. Um, what's your perspective on the realities of, hey, sometimes good players leave quickly from college basketball programs for whatever reason versus, you know, you really do try to plan and build a roster and hope that some of these really good players stick around for multiple years? You know, I think for Ohio State fans who maybe have a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth about this, and again, the most important thing is is DJ Carton's long-term well-being. But just from a sports perspective, the one thing that maybe sits that, that's that they don't really sit well with is when you bring a guy in and you project him as an NBA guy, and you think maybe he's going to leave early, even if he leaves after one year, you hope that it's because he came in, he had an amazing season, and I know that things got weird at the end of the season as far as the postseason, but his his play just elevates him to the point where he just he can't say no to the NBA at that point. And but I, think but I asked him again. But but why does that sit wrong? There, you didn't lose anything. If he averaged thirty points a game and was going to be a top ten NBA draft pick, what truly would be the difference to the Ohio State basketball program? Right. Well, again, again, what what I'm saying. I was trying to get to a, a different long term point. I understand why why people. Whatever. Moving past that. Um, it, 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 the history that I saw, I guess, at Purdue was that it, you're right. Typically, it wasn't guys coming in and moving through quickly. It, the, the best example was maybe Caleb Swanigan, who came in and spent two seasons. And after his first year, went through the NBA process, was told that he wasn't ready, came back, had an amazing second year, was Big Ten Player of the Year, and then left. And again, I, I think that's where... When you're, when you're putting together a program, I think this is part of the modern college basketball scenario is you try to go get those guys. You don't, I don't think anybody necessarily recruits one and done guys. I think they recruit guys who they hope can be one and done because of what that means for your program. Yes, you're right that this year that was not going to mean anything at the end of the season for Ohio State basketball. But I think what I was saying was I think there is probably still some 
there, I understand an Ohio State fan who thinks, who is disappointed that in this one year they didn't get to really see the full DJ Carton. Yeah, I don't understand that. They went eight and three without him. He flashed when he was good, and it was a ended up being a weird, funky year. If he had averaged thirty points a game and was the best freshman in the country, people would really be going nuts right now because people would have thought there was a national title there to win, and we can't win it because of what's going on in the world. I just think the way it all perhaps, came but, together. Yeah, perhaps, but they'd also they also know they wouldn't be having him for another year anyway. I think the other th- I think the other thing here is that. And I understand that these things are complicated, but but I, I, I don't know that they could you could read the writing on the wall that Carton probably wasn't going to return for this for another year, but it wasn't ever explicitly said until this week. In fact, he was still with the program. He was still or not not with the team, but he was still at Ohio State. The team was saying the right things. He wasn't saying he's definitely leaving. I think there was probably still a segment of the fan base that was like, well, this year we didn't get any of what we thought this year was going to be, whether it was DJ Carton, whether it was the postseason, whatever. Next year he'll come back and make that happen, and now that's not going to happen. I understand. I'm not saying that that is more important than his well-being. I'm just saying from a from a basketball perspective, I understand fans that mourn that a little bit. It's more of the fact that he had his best game of the season, and then 24 hours later he was no longer with the program. And if you're the average fan just peeping in, you don't understand how you can go from literally having the best game of your season. And obviously now knowing what we know, but it goes from one minute, it's like, okay, DJ Carden looks like he's starting to get it to we don't have him anymore. Is he going to come back to realizing he's never going to play in an Ohio State jersey again? It's more of that. And it wasn't because of an injury. It's, you know, it's a real. It's obviously a real thing, but it's just you went from watching your four-star freshman who looks like he's starting to blossom have the best game of his of his young career to 24 hours later you no longer have him. And they went eight and three without him and beat Maryland. So, backwards regret on this is completely wasted. And and forward wishing he would be here. Guys leave all the time. I just think this is. You got people have to let this one go. I don't. I don't accept any excuse for like, oh, if only, if only what? What you're going to go 11 and 0 if he had still been on the team? Like it's it's it just was a a funky year in the world and and a and a tough year for this kid and you just you just got to like let it go. So like I'm going to pretend that he went to the NBA and Ohio State has to deal with that and their season was cut short and with or without him they couldn't win anything. So let's look at what is happening with Ohio State now. Are they going to have to bring in – can they survive if they don't bring in some kind of transfer who can play right away, or are they going to have to do that? And I'll make the comparison. This is where you get in scramble mode sometimes when you have to reach because of unexpected things. And Ohio State had to do that when Mike Conley left. They ended up – they reached on P.J. Hill uh, from a junior college as a backup point guard who could play right away um, and, and you get caught a little bit, but again, it's not the first time you get caught. Do they absolutely need to add a, at least backup point guard for next season, one way or the other? No, because of what the personnel is. Dwayne Washington Jr. is more of a combo guard, but he's solid. If you just need a guy to play backup minutes, TJ Walker obviously started to come on strong and show he's clearly the starting point guard. Justice Sewing's a forward, but he can handle the ball and he can make plays for you. So, and obviously Steph Towns is going to make a decision between Duke and Ohio State. 
by the time you guys, most people hear this, he will have made that decision. But because of what can potentially be your personnel next year, it's not a 100%. We need to go get a backup point guard just because of what else is going to be on the team. There's going to be uh, players on the perimeter who are going to be able to create their own shot and do some things that this team this year wasn't able to do. So it's not a dire situation for them to go get another point guard. Seth Towns is a grad transfer? Yes. That's a pretty good plan. I remember when Seth Towns picked Harvard mm-hmm. when he had all these major offers for basketball, and people yeah. were like, what? And it's like, if your plan is get a Harvard degree yep. and then go play for a team that has a chance to like go to the Sweet 16 or win a national title, did you just invent like the best basketball plan any player could come up with? And he is, he's built like that. He's always been built like that. He's, he's never been just a basketball guy. He's always, he was an engineering major. He was always interested in that side of things a lot more than basketball. He just happened to be really good at putting the ball in the basket as well. So yeah, if, <laughs> if you're a student athlete trying to take advantage of the fact that you get a free education, I think Seth Towns is the magnum opus of taking advantage of getting a free education. Would he start for Ohio State next year if he picks Ohio State? Is he that good? He, he yeah, he could, yeah. He was the, the Ivy League player, Ivy League of, the year player of the year. Yeah. There's a lineup where it's just think, if he's here, it's CJ Walker. I think it could be Seth Towns, Justice Suing, and then some combination of probably Zed Key because he, or if Caleb Weston comes back, which I don't think he's going to come back. I don't think he's going pro. Zed Key probably – Kyle Young maybe starts. And then depending on what Hoban wants to do, Zed Key is your big or you play small with either Dwayne Washington Jr. or Luther Muhammad at the two. All right, let's get into some other stuff um, with recruiting and football. Uh, again, we're going to start um, taking a couple questions. We always have questions left over. We'll do some maybe midweek call-out for questions. Again, this is all through our Friends of the Pod tech subscribers. If you want to be part of this, if you want to vote in our bracket, if you want to be able to ask questions and communicate with us directly, uh, you can sign up 14-day free trial. That's at 614-350-3315. Just send a text of anything to that, and the information on how to sign up will shoot right into your phone. Um, we have seen a little bit of an increase. We are staying engaged with all of our followers. Uh, we appreciate um, all of them staying engaged with us. So if you have never tried it, it's a good time to try it. It's like a, Obviously, there's no sports being played, but we're trying to come up with fun, interesting things to let people think about sports during this time. Again, that's 614 614- 3503315 question from the 937 this is about football recruiting do these commits and we talked about the four commits that Ohio State got recently that was our our big topic of conversation on the full midweek buckeye talk three of them in the defensive backfield do these commits prevent Ohio State from still signing someone like a Tony Grimes or is there always room for a player of that caliber uh Steven, I know you've done a recruiting breakdown on Tony Grimes, but let's start with Nathan there. Um, this class, Nathan, it's at 14 right now. How how much sort of wiggle room for talent is there, and how much do you think we're, they're sort of zeroing in on, well, they have to get a couple guys at these positions, a couple guys at these positions? How do you think this class is going to shake out from a strategic standpoint for Ohio State? Well, I wrote about – 
comparing this class or what the way this 2021 class is coming together and the ranking it's going to have to some of the other great classes in Ohio State history. And I was trying to guess as to the final size of this class. I think Ohio State has seven seniors scheduled to graduate. You would assume a couple of junior departures. We know Sean Wade and there may be some others um, to the to the NFL. And you assume a couple more pieces of attrition. So you're looking at a, a class of like what? Anywhere. Do you mean 17? You mean 17 seniors, right? You said seven. Yes, 17? I think it meant 17. Yeah, yeah 17. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 17. So we're looking at a, a group of anywhere from like 20 to 25, probably a normal signing class size, I would guess. Um, and I, that's where it gets interesting because when you already have 14 and you do already have three defensive backs, I guess speaking specifically to Grimes, I do think there is an echelon of players who, if they want to come to your school, you're going to take them within reason, unless you've already got other true blue chip guys. And, but, but usually that problem solves itself. Usually those guys are not stacking themselves up on top of each other quite to that extent. So I, that's one of the positions where I think it's interesting, but pretty much, and maybe I guess receiver would be the other one. We know they're going to take multiple running backs. I don't think anything they've done right now, other than maybe quarterback, I don't think they're going to take obviously a second quarterback, but really any other position, I don't see them really kind of um, maxing themselves out yet position wise. Um, I think that kind of then comes down to the preference of, of the, the athlete in question. So let me reset this uh, real quick before we get to Steven to dig in on Tony Grimes a little bit more. 17 seniors, as Nathan said. Juniors who are definitely going to go pro after this year. Justin Fields, that makes it 18. Wyatt Davis, 19. Sean Wade, 20. Now, there's a guy like maybe like Josh Myers. I don't think you can count on him for sure, right? Maybe Chris Olave as a junior can't count on him for sure. But I would say at the moment, 17 seniors and three surefire juniors going pro. They're at 86 scholarships right now. They have to be at 85 by the start of the season. So they're going to have to have at least one transfer off this. They're not going to have a, a gazillion transfers or whatever. Right. They'll be, figure they'll be at 85 when the season starts. So 85 when the season starts, losing 20, and then, you know, some attrition here and there. But, again, I think – you know, 23, 24, 25, I think is certainly um, what they will be targeting with numbers in this recruiting class. So, Stephen, you did a Tony Grimes breakdown. Give us a little baseline, first of all, of who this kid is. A lot of people listening to this, listen, we know a lot of people listening to this are, are recruiting experts, and we know a lot of people listening to this care about recruiting, but don't follow it, you know, by every detail every single day. So who is Tony Grimes and, and what kind of player is he? This is another guy out of Virginia that Ohio State is looking at. He's the number one cornerback in the class, number seven overall player, a five-star guy who, according to 247 Sports, he he is a potential first-round draft pick. He's I mean, compared to Kyle Fuller, who played at Virginia, is in the NFL right now, this support for the Chicago Bears. Look, if if Tony Grimes wants to come to Ohio State, then Tony Grimes is going to come to Ohio State. I don't see Tony, them turning down the number one cornerback in the class as a five-star guy. And he falls under that belt of guys. If you're a top ten player in the country and you want to come to Ohio State, they're going to make room for you at Ohio State, especially Kerry Combs, who's done a heck of a job recruiting defensive backs for a guy who's only been back for three months. And as we said, this is the kind of thing you build up. And I know, you know, Nathan, you were talking about this. You build up guys, you build up a position so that if you don't get Tony Grimes, 
you aren't left hanging. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I follow a couple people on Twitter around Tony Grimes. They're very active um, in the recruiting world. They are, you know, they're on social media a lot talking about recruiting. They're talking about visits. He has some really involved people, I think, with his family and his coaching staff around him who are really smart and educated about recruiting. So they know what's up with Ohio State. And, again, you talk about that kind of area in Virginia, Ohio State, Larry Johnson, they've done very well there before. So, I mean, if you have Larry Johnson in that area, you have Kerry Combs at cornerback. Um, I think the people, Tony Grimes and the people he cares about understand you know, where can you go to develop yourself? And so you have to like Ohio State's chances, not not to get them, but to be in the mix and be a reasonable option for them. So I think in the end, yeah, there, there are a select few. There are a select few. You can't just say Ohio State's not in a place where they take every good player who wants to come here. I mean, that's that's there are more than 25 really good players a year who want to be an Ohio State Buckeye. But I think Grimes at that position – with his rating and his skill would certainly be a guy that they will find space for him if need be. Um, let's get into the other question. The, the one other question we're going to get into today. Um, we're starting a best text of the day at cleveland.com on the site. So if you're, you're a text subscriber, you're now going to see your thoughts put out into the world a little bit as we answer them. Nathan, you answered this uh, on the site on Friday, but Stephen and I will chime in here. Why don't you tell us the question and then where you went with it? Yeah, sorry, I didn't have this, the, the exact question pulled up. I'll bring it up real quick then. It's from the 303, from the 303. Will Ryan Day be able to make the year two jump from a disappointing 13-1 and to an okay 15-0 national championship? <laughs> Seriously, though, do we expect Day to be better in year two? I do, says the texter. And in what intangible, tangible ways do you believe he's becoming a better coach or can become a better coach? And yeah, and, and so my answer was, I also think that Ryan Day will probably be a better coach in year two. I think anybody will be, should be better having taken the experience of that first season and applied it now to what comes up the second season. My caution to him, though, and, and he, he was obviously being very tongue in cheek with the way he asked the question, which I appreciate, but it's possible that Ryan Day could be a better coach in year two. And that doesn't necessarily mean Ohio State improves in year two, because I think the challenge ahead of Ohio State in year two is a lot different. He doesn't get to re-coach year one with everything he learned from year one. He has to take what he learned in year one and apply it to now having to kind of make over this defense, which he brought Kerry Combs in to help him do, to dealing with what's going on right now and all the uncertainty that's out there right now. I know every team is dealing with it, but whoever deals with it the best, and I don't even really even know what that means, I suppose. Maybe that's a stupid thing to say at this stage. But, you know, helping your players through this as individuals, helping your team through it as athletes, um, there's a lot of of just weird stuff that's kind of on the table right now that challenges every coach, um, especially a guy in his second year. It's going to challenge guys who've been doing this for a long time. Um, And so, again, I think we're going to see more also of what Ryan Day is really about. I don't think it was necessarily an easy job in year one, but he, they were so strong with so many, you know, really good NFL bound guys, proven guys on both sides of the ball that there's going to have to be some adjustments, especially, you know, is, does he stay just as aggressive as he was on offense at times and in other facets this year as he did last year, knowing now that his defense is probably more vulnerable to not being able to bail you out if it goes wrong as it was last year. I mean, just things like that. We're going to, we're going to see more about Ryan day as a coach in year two, that'll help 
maybe give a better window of the areas where he still needs to improve overall. Right. Steven, you go ahead, and then I'll, I'll finish up with my uh, contrarian opinion off the top rope, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to be a better coach simply because for the first time since he's ever been since he's been coaching quarterbacks, he's going to have a year or two of a quarterback. And, yes, this scenario is now different because he doesn't get this – a spring football the way he would have gotten a spring football, but still, this is a, a this is a whole new world for Ryan Day when it comes to coaching quarterbacks. That he, from a starting aspect, obviously he had Dwayne Haskins for two years, but he wasn't started for two years. So the the defense is isn't going to be as great as it was last year, but he's still an aggressive coach, and I don't think that's going to change just because the defense isn't as good as as it was last year. I think he might be more aggressive because the defense isn't as good as last year. So sometimes you're going to have to take some risks because you can't afford to put your defense back on the field against Oregon early on, and you need your offense to stay on the field and, and be able to make something happen, especially late in the game. So I, but si- be, simply because Justin Fields is in year two, that's going to allow Ryan Day to be a better coach because he gets to do some things with Justin Fields that he's never been able to do with a quarterback. So the one thing I think he'll be better in some ways and, and not that he won't be as good in some ways, but his job will be, I think, substantially harder and, and um, what he's trying to do will be harder to do. So in year one, especially the way this went down, he like is, oh my gosh, we lost Urban Meyer. What are we going to do? Okay, this guy's right here. Urban supports him. Gene Smith supports him. Let's support this new guy like no expectations, that idea of like, hey, it's the new guy. He's never done this before. Um, I'll tell you, I'm not picking him to go nine and three this year. And a lot of people picked him to be good last year, but Ryan Day got to play that card and he played it at times. He played the nobody believed in us kind of thing. That card's off the table, right? And that is a great card for a young coach to get to play. So just from the pressure slash expectation standpoint, he got a break on that last year because they had great talent. And again, it's my favorite, one of my favorite phrases to say they were had, they, they were a team that was allowed to have overdog talent and an underdog attitude. He's not an underdog anymore. He's Ryan day who went 14 and 0 in the regular or 13 and 0 in the regular season and went to the playoff. Number two is his message. He's different than urban, right? I mean, we all see that everybody all last year was asking, how's he different than urban? How's he different than urban? I think we got a good handle on that by the end of the year. Just in terms of Urban was hard on people, Urban pushed people. Ryan Day is that he has gravitated toward this tough love idea, but he puts the love part out there very strongly. Um, he he does have high expectations, but he talks about love a lot more than Urban Meyer talked about it. Doesn't mean Urban Meyer didn't love his players. It meant that wasn't necessarily his messaging. Anytime a message is new, it's absorbed better, right? So. Sometimes by year two, they've heard it all before, right? You've got to constantly evolve how you connect with these guys because if they start hearing stuff, say, yeah, yeah, we know, we know, that makes it a little harder. So it's not going to be fresh. It's not going to be new. He's going to have to evolve his message. Um, And, I, I mean, I think that doesn't mean he's not a better coach. I do think he'll be better because his staff will be better. I think everybody says, I've been talking to people who say, your worst staff is your first staff. And while yes, yes, you do have those guys who are on top of the list in your drawer, Jeff Halfley, guys like that say, when I get a job, these are the first guys I'm going to hire. 
but you also have never hired a staff before and you make some mistakes, right? So I think his, he might have a better understanding of his staff and that will help make them better. And he just knows like where all the light switches are, you know, like he just knows all the logistics and the fundamentals of coaching a team. Um, but I do think when there's more expected and you're not the new guy on the block anymore, that changes your reality a little bit. So there have been a lot of head coaches that have won national titles in year two. A lot of guys make that jump, but, but Ryan day, not only maybe will be better in some ways, he has to be better, right? Cause if you're not a better coach in year two, then I think the program might backslide. So I think, of course, everybody's better in in year two in their job. But he's in it now. Like, this is it, right? This is it. Like, hey, now you're just an Ohio State coach. And at Ohio State, everybody expects you to win all the time. And he knew that, and he mentioned that a lot last year. He mentioned it in his first news conference when he was hired, beat the Mm -hmm. team up north and win every other game too. But if he had gone nine and three last year, people would have given him a break. Like the breaks are gone. He doesn't, he didn't need them, but they're also gone. So I think that's a reality for Ryan day. I think he's up to the challenge, but you know, it's going to be hard. I think what you're talking about, I understand where you're coming from. Um, and, and that all is a factor in what the outside perception of the job Ryan day does in year two will be um, maybe some of the like, lazier analysis of what he could do in year two will be. I just feel like when I answered the question, I was really kind of thinking more about more tangible, you know, what he actually does as a coach, the things he does as a coach, will they be better in year two than they were in year one? Not necessarily just based on the expectations, but But, the, the the decisions he makes, the, what's the um, most important thing a head coach does. I think the most important thing a head coach does, well, I think I might have even said in a thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's twofold. I think it's, it's, it's your staff and recruiting, but it's also just sort of setting the vision and executing the plan to get to that. And can, I think connecting with your players and motivating your players is high on that list. Right. And right. so I think, I think, yeah, his vision and, and that kind of thing, understanding that vision and setting the foundation for the program can be better. I think just, I just think you have to be on it with connecting with the players because you're, you're not the new boss anymore. So you have to make sure the message in year two isn't exactly the same as the message in year one. And that's not outside. That's inside. That's every day. Yeah, I agree with that. I will say, though, I think, and and you're right, that he won't be able to play the woe is us card. Nobody believed in us. But he does get to play the, hey, remember what it felt like that night after the Fiesta Bowl card. I think those do kind of cancel each other out. It's amazing. There's there's a lot of cards, right? I mean, it's just like deciding – it's not like a it's not like poker where you get dealt cards. It's more like uh I don't know, Pokemon or like what some kind of Magic the Gathering or whatever where don't you like you have a bunch of cards and you have to decide which you get to one build you're your gonna deck. play. Yeah. yeah. Like what spell am I gonna cast here or what what Pokemon am I gonna play here? So you can't just cast the same I apologize to cards. Who on this staff is a big enough nerd to turn that last sentence yeah. into a post? What? It's probably me. I played a bunch of Magic the Gathering back in the day. I just don't know how to get to. I don't want to characterize anyone who. That's not, it's, I think it's interesting. I don't think it's nerdy. I, I don't nerdy know. Nerdy is I, not a bad word anymore, though. That's true. Um, I'm saying, but it takes a special kind of person to be able to to take that concept and translate it to the people who have never played Magic the Gathering and make that a post. I'm do just you saying. think you could make oh. your own Magic the Gathering deck of? Things oh, that I'll, college football <laughs> head coaches do to run a program. Got to catch them all. 
Yeah. Got to catch them all, Ryan Day. Interesting. We can get the graphics team. <laughs> the graphics team. That's really the graphics team. I think if this thing, if we're doing this for 18 months, let's check back in like uh, yes. okay. no, November of this year if there's no football season and uh, the Magic the Gathering Nathan Baird I'm, college football coaches cards. I'm we'll putting that on the bottom list. of the list. Yeah. You gotta hopefully. catch them all. Sounds like a recruiting thing. <laughs> it's like five star talent. Hopefully we will not get to that. Um, all right, let's finish up with a little bracket talk. Um, I sent, I just sent out the bracket results to our tech subscribers. Um, it actually hasn't gone through yet. So you guys have not seen it yet, but let me reveal the voting. Well, they'll uh, have seen it, but, oh, you mean us. Sorry. Never mind. Yeah, Go you ahead. too. So you guys can't reference it, but the, it was the second half of the trestle offense region. Uh, all the favorites won. Ted Ginn Jr., the two seed, dominated Brian Hartline, the 15 seed. Maurice Claret, the three seed, dominated Dan Heron, the 14 seed. Michael Jenkins, the six seed, with a very solid win over Dane Sansenbacher, the 11 seed. And the most interesting matchup, Terrell Pryor as the seven, Nick Mangold as the 10. Pryor won roughly like 60% to 40%. So uh, Pryor Mangold was close for a while. Um, Anything in there surprise you guys? I'll tell you what, Ted Ginn Jr., people love Brian Hartline. Ted Ginn Jr. as the two seed in the Trestle offense region is going to be a tough out in this bracket. Um, if things hold to form, he would face his friend and teammate, Troy Smith, in the Trestle offense region final. Anything surprise you guys about those results? Not necessarily, I guess, about the results. I, I thought I thought prior Mangold would be pretty close um partly because of the things we talked about with prior on the last episode and or whenever it was we talked about it and um and just because mangold was a really great player um, prior, i could see i just did the math officially it was 55 percent to 45 percent wow prior see i mean that that's about what i would have probably guessed um, yes. I thought Pryor would win, but I thought it would be close because there is enough mixed feelings. And because I think Mangold, you know, when a guy goes off to the NFL and becomes like arguably the best in the NFL at his position for like a significant chunk of time, um, I think that resonates with people. They get to say that was our guy. That was our Ohio State guy that's going and doing that. After the conversation we had about Pryor, I thought his his ceiling was maybe the second round just because of I thought he would get past Mangold, but then after that, things get a little rocky for prior. But other than that, no, nothing surprised me about this region. Yeah, I don't he, think anything will until like until we get to like sweet sixteen and then things will start getting interesting. Pryor's gonna have a hard time with Teddy in round yeah. two. Um the Claret Michael Jenkins matchup three six in round two is gonna be interesting. A lot of people with a lot of love for for Michael Jenkins, the holy buckeye catch, Ohio State's leading receiver for three straight years, a good NFL career, a good guy. Um but in the some a lot of people don't comment they just vote again if you want to be part of the voting join the text at 614-350-3315 not not a ton of people holding anything against prior or claret when they do explain their reasoning a couple people you know prior with the way he left ohio state that factor they may mention that factored into, into their decision but not an overwhelming part of that so let's get to the now the meyer the urban meyer ryan day defense region the first four matchups in that, again, have been revealed to our tech subscribers. I'll reveal them here. 
Number one, Chase Young versus number 16, Cam Johnston. Cam Johnston won the punter play-in game with the win over Drew Chrisman. This matchup, just I'm so excited for. Number eight, Marshawn (laughs) Lattimore versus number nine, Denzel Ward. Lattimore versus Ward, two Northeast Ohio guys, two guys who wound up being super high NFL draft picks, two corners, fascinated by that. Number four, Malik Hooker versus number 13, Sam Hubbard. Uh, A texter push got Hubbard into the bracket after I did not have him in there initially. And the dangerous 5-12 matchup, Nick Bosa moved down in the final seeding, again, after some suggestions from the tech subscribers. It's number five, Nick Bosa, against number 12, Tyvis Powell. Upset alert. Do you guys think that, that, I mean, again, I'm trying to make the 12s dangerous. What do you think of Tyvis Powell versus Nick Bosa? I think that's upset alert because this is not who's the best. It's favorite. And I think because of of what we've already said about Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, this is high upset alert. I think Nick pulls it out, but I think it's going to be another tight one. And then I, the, the Lattimore Ward thing. Um, it's going to be fun. You know, Ward, they both sort of had one breakout year. Marshawn was, was hurt for two years and then was an All-American the one year he was a starter. Denzel was in the rotation. Uh, and then the year after, um, that, that after Lattimore and Gary on Conley left, Denzel sort of moved to the forefront. Again, that's a guy. Ward was the number four pick in the draft. Lattimore, the number 11 pick in the draft. Um, I, I don't know which way that's going to go, but I'm really trying to make – I think a lot of these, the 8-9 matchups I made, a lot of them are guys at the same position, much like the Anthony Gonzalez-Santonio Holmes uh, matchup we had in round one, which came down to two votes. Santonio Holmes beat Anthony Gonzalez by two votes, and I will tell you – uh, Anthony Gonzalez texted me and said he agreed that Santonio Holmes should have won. So, um, what do you guys think of Lattimore and Ward? This one's difficult because there's not a lot to go off of, but Ward might pull it off just because, like you said, Lattimore was hurt. Ward was at least in the rotation before he came to became the Denzel Ward that put him in this bracket. So there's more. For, there's, there was just more fans to see of Denzel Ward than there was. Marshawn Lattimore, so I, he might pull this one out. That makes sense. I do think, though, uh, Marshawn Lattimore just got his uh, option picked up, his fifth-year option. So he was already guaranteed the coming year contract, and then now his fifth-year contract is also guaranteed off his rookie deal with the Saints. And I'm wondering if just that extra little shot of publicity that's out there right now that isn't out there for Denzel Ward, maybe enough people see that name in front of their eyes over the next week that it sways their coin toss vote. We'll see. And also, we play it with this. This is we're Cleveland.com. Denzel Ward plays for the hometown team. I think that's what I was going to say. I think mm-hmm. that might yep. matter. There's a lot of things that are factoring into the idea of favorite. That Denzel Ward is a Brown is certainly some kind of factor. I and thought Marshawn. I thought before Jeff Okuda, Marshawn Lattimore was the best corner that I had seen at Ohio State on these list. This list of great, great cornerbacks through Ohio State. I still put Marshawn right there with Jeff Okuda. I'm not sure I would say one is better than the other, what they played at at their peak. Um, so that'll be a good matchup. So again, if you guys want to take part in it, the, the number of votes in each round have gone up. Um, so more people are getting involved. So um, we've gotten some good comments that people are enjoying this as a distraction. I'm having fun sitting and, and tallying it on my legal pad. Someone said, why don't you just like get like a little, you know, get a vote thing that, that tallies it for you. But I like it. It's like, I'm treating it like it early on in the Mangold prior thing, like Mangold was ahead. 
you know, and it was like, oh, it was sort of like the underdog jumped out to like a watching first quarter lead. It's like watching a March Madness game, basically. Yeah, I mean, it's like I wish I should do like a a, a video of of a, me tallying, and it's like Nick Mangold out to a quick eleven to five lead on Terrell Pryor. Here comes Pryor. He's got nine votes in a row, and suddenly Pryor back on top. You know, like that's what it's like for me. So um, you kind of should. You should go back to the first answer after the question is asked and read into the future. I know that's the way that our system is, our, our portal is set up. That's not the easiest way to do it, but then it almost becomes a buzzer beater. Like if the last two people pick Ward and put him over Lattimore, then it's like somebody, it's like, you know, Bryce Drew or whatever at the buzzer. I, I mean, when the, like Anthony Gonzalez was ahead for like the first 60% of the San Antonio Holmes thing. It was like, it looked like Anthony Gonzalez was going to pull ahead and then Holmes had a furious rally. So again, we'll put that on the, I may be rereading the balloting in November, depending how things go. Um, yeah. Tune in to Doug, Doug live stream counting <laughs> Whoa, on his fingers. 56, 50. I mean, this is what I'm doing. Is I, I'm going like, 30 to 17, 31 to 17, 31 to 18, 31 to 19, 31 to 20, 32 to 20. But then I, I go back and double check and I do tally marks. So I am doing it correctly. The other voting going on, my family movie bracket. If you guys want to keep up on this, uh, the first, we've, we did the first group of four movies. Again, this is my family, four people in my family. We each picked four movies. We seeded our own four. We made a 16 movie bracket uh, in the first region. Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood beat the big sick and a league of their own beat Avengers. So those are the two games that are in, uh, last night we watched blockers, uh, which is the number one seed in its region. And up next is moonlight as the number four seed in that region. I don't know if you guys have seen blockers. It was really inappropriate for my younger daughter. Um, yep. with, which just means Absolutely. that like it got a really high score. Oh yeah. Like I probably shouldn't be watching this and you're supposed to rate it like one to 25. So our final point total is like a basketball score. And it's like, I probably shouldn't be watching this 23. So it's, <laughs> exactly. you know, I mean, it's like if, if, yeah. So um, blockers, blockers, but I do think my blockers is the one seat in that region. The, the two seat in that region is my pick coming to America. My wife and I, of course, have seen that. My kids have not yet seen it. I like coming to America's chances in that bracket. So are you guys re-voting in each round or just whatever score they get in the first round carries through the whole bracket? We're going to not re-watch, but we are going to re-vote because I want you to sort of think about the movie again. Sometimes what you think about a movie five minutes after you watched it versus what you think six days later can change. And I think I want people to think about the movies in context of each other. So it's like you thought League of Their Own was good, but now when you really think about it, what do you really think was better, League of Their Own or A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? And vote accordingly. You know, like now you're voting in comparison to each other. So we're not re-watching, but we are re-voting each round. Good. All right. Clever. All right. So that's our plan. That's our mini pod for now. We'll be back, hopefully, with another mini pod on Monday. Uh, again, if you guys want to get in, ask questions for this. We'll always do call-outs for the main Buckeye Talk every Wednesday. Try the text, 614-350-3315. Become a friend of the podcast for free. Um, so thanks to you guys for listening to this uh, mini mini edition. I can't believe, like, that was 40 minutes. This is what most people do for a whole podcast. 
How disappointed no. would you be if Lynch. that was a whole podcast? No. 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 Go long or go home. Go big or go home. Yeah. Whatever the whatever the saying is. I barely even ranted. Um, yeah. So no, this is ridiculous. Yeah, forty minute podcast. Oh my god. No. I, this is no. this is like an appetizer. So anyway, mini pods Monday Friday probably going forward. Regular Buckeye talk every Wednesday. Make sure you're reading us at cleveland.com slash OSU. We're doing recruiting battle breakdowns where we take prospects out there interested in the Buckeyes and we analyze who they are, the other schools that Ohio State is going against to get these kids, um, what they might end up picking, the things that go into that decision. So check out those recruiting battles at cleveland.com and check out what we're going to do with the, the best text of the day where on a daily basis, we continue to answer questions from tech subscribers. So for now, for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was a mini Buckeye Talk. <laughs>